0: Thanks for joining us. If you're new, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the elders at the church. I'm going to kick us off this morning on about an eight-week mini-series from 2 Timothy. Uh, Really excited about this series. 2 Timothy is packed full of really, really practical good things for us as followers of Christ, things that will challenge your heart, things that will also instruct you and encourage you. And so as we begin that this morning, that's uh, where we're going to head out on this journey for the next eight weeks. When you think about 2 Timothy, something I want you to keep in the back of your mind as we go through this is Paul discipling his uh, young protege, Timothy, and Paul being at the point of death in prison, and yet he's continuing to disciple Timothy. And so as we go through the weeks ahead, please remember and notice some of the things that Paul does that we'll have an opportunity to do and point to the fact that uh, disciple-making is not one of the things churches are supposed to do, it's the thing churches are supposed to do. It also kind of surprised me when I think of Second Timothy, some of the things we'll talk about, especially this morning, might be kind of foreign to you. And uh, here's what I mean. I was thinking of an example to start this morning with how, how often we fail to find somebody to walk alongside us, somebody that's a little more mature in the faith, someone to help us along in this journey. Kim and I were married just about a year when her brother from Colorado calls and says, "Uh, how about coming out to visit us? They had their first child and they were going to uh, do a church service. And so um, we hop on a plane, we go to Denver and uh, get off, drive up into the mountains to stay at her brother's house. Remember, we're Flatlanders. In the Rocky Mountains, the next morning we get up and he says, we got eight inches of powder snow, let's go ski. Now I've never skied except in high school, went on this little trip to a hill that was uh, probably the size of the street beside here, okay? And uh, I couldn't even go down 20 yards without falling, and I said, I don't ski. So it's probably not a good idea. he said we'll go where it's really easy. so it's snowing like crazy out in the Rocky Mountains. He drives about an hour to this <clears throat> ski resort um I've got a pair of jeans, not a real heavy coat, okay don't even have gloves. He did give me a pair of gloves, and uh, he gets us all suited up, and uh, we head towards the chair to lift and he said i." I've never been on a chairlift. He says, not that hard. They'll help you get on it. And he grabs my wife and gets on a chairlift. Off they go. I gotta figure out how to get on the chairlift. It's snowing really hard. It's cold on this chairlift. When we got to the top of the ski lift, the sun was out. That tells you how high we were, okay? And I literally got off the chairlift and just kind of crawled like this. Just embarrassed, and he said, You'll get the hang of it, just trust me. And he said, We're gonna take a real easy trail, and we go along the top of this mountain, it's gorgeous, and I'm following every 20 yards, so's Kim. And f- at one point, Kim says, I feel really, really sick. And she says, I'm lightheaded, and I don't feel good. And her brother says, Oh, it's altitude sickness, that's no surprise. So he gets the ski patrol and comes to us. They put Kim on one of those little sled things, okay? And they're gonna take her down the mountain. He said, once we get to the bottom, we'll get you in the nice uh, fire-filled room with some snacks and something to drink. And he says to me, just follow the blue trail. You'll be okay. (laughs) And he left me at the top of the mountain by myself. And about an hour and 45 minutes later, I still wasn't down. Because the blue trail was supposedly the easy trail. At one point, I came, like, the mountain was like this. Blue trail's over here, like, I'm down here. On the black trail, which is, like, through the woods, like, for advanced skiers. He finally found me. He's like, where have you been? I've been, you know, I went the Blue Trail. It's like, I can't stay on the Blue Trail. (laughs) Story goes like this. You know, from when he found me till we got to the little ski lodge where the ski patrol shack was, he's giving me instructions. He's helping me learn how to ski, which was really helpful, would have been more helpful at the top. But, But I use that story to say, You know, when we begin our Christian life, how often do we kind of face this new journey on our own, try to figure it out as we go, and how much easier would it be if we all had someone to come alongside, give us instructions, warn us where we need to be warned, encourage us when we need to be encouraged. When we read 2 Timothy, that's what I think of Paul coming alongside Timothy, instructing, encouraging, correcting, helping him learn how to navigate this Christian life and serving him. So that's part of what I want us to pick up this morning as we read through this. Second Timothy is a very tender, tender letter. It's uh, filled with lots of emotions. Lots of close relationship you'll see between Paul and Timothy. A little background history. Paul first meets Timothy in Acts chapter 16 on his second missionary journey. And it says that Paul comes to a town called Lystra. And at Lystra he meets Timothy whose mother is a follower of Christ So probably on Paul's first missionary journey, she comes to faith, or at some point. And it says Timothy's father is Greek, meaning he's probably not a follower of Christ. So Timothy and Paul strike up a close relationship, even to the point you'll see here he calls him his son And Paul takes Timothy with him on this missionary journey now throughout. Now, they get to Ephesus, and in Ephesus, you'll have heard of that in your scriptures for sure, there's a lot of issues going on in the church in Ephesus, false teaching, some things that aren't central to the gospel, and things that weren't of the gospel, Paul leaves Timothy in Ephesus and says, you stay here. You complete some work that needs done here in Ephesus. Paul leaves. And after he leaves at some point as he travels into Macedonia, he gets arrested. This is not Paul's first time of being arrested. But Paul gets arrested, this time taken to Rome, put in a very dark, cold prison, chained And the other times Paul had been arrested, it was house arrest kind of a situation. So Paul's in prison, he's cold, he's certain that this is the end for him. And what's he going to tell Timothy as he writes a letter to his disciple? Well, it's amazing when we go through this letter to notice a man who is virtually on the edge of death Awaiting to be executed for being a follower of Christ. The things that he speaks of to encourage him. Five times in 2 Timothy, the word endurance is used. Endurance. It means to abide or remain in a certain hope. Endure in this gospel that you believe that saved you endure in proclaiming the gospel, Paul will tell Timothy throughout this. And so he wants to make sure that Timothy doesn't look at him and become afraid or timid in his faith, but saying, no, 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 I want you to endure. I want you to be strong in the faith. And so with that background, if you would turn with me to 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to read through that and then we'll make some observations this morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, And peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you pick it up already? Here he is writing a letter that's going to go to Timothy. Paul also knows it's not going to be read just by Timothy. It will be circulated throughout other churches. So he's still discipling from prison. And he starts with, my beloved child, Can you see the affection and remembering that Timothy would have had as he read this? And then similar to Paul's initial greetings, he he throws in three words here, grace, mercy, and peace from God. Why, Why would he do that? Those terms would be just packed with theological significance as Timothy reads this. He doesn't start off by saying, which I would have thought. Hey, uh, Timothy, I'm in prison again. This is probably the end. Bad news for me. Hope you're doing okay. No, he starts right off with using three terms that Timothy would have very closely understood. Grace. In other words, he's saying, remember the grace of God that rich love of God towards sinful people, towards you, Timothy. Remember God's grace that saved you, Timothy. And he says, remember mercy. Remember the mercy that all of us were helpless because we were separated from God, had no hope of being reunited. And he says, remember God's mercy, not giving us what we deserved. And then he drops in the word peace, which is a little unique. Again, I think he's starting to unfold this understanding of the gospel, bringing peace to our life, even in the midst of extreme difficulty. Peace. In other words, Timothy, you have peace. You're reconciled to God. You're restored in your relationship. You can have a settled heart. And no matter what you face in life, you can have peace. And that's how he begins this letter to Timothy. Let's jump on down to verses 3 through 7. He goes on now to say, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. And I remember you constantly in my prayers, night night. And day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that you may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your um, grandmother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Let's pause just after this next sentence. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but a power of love and self control. Paul is again building up young Timothy, reminding him of the heritage and the examples of strong. Christian gospel faith that he grew up in. We need those, don't we? I mean, it's easy to get discouraged, but when you look around and you see some folks that are strong in the faith who went through some difficulties, that encourage is us. So he begins to encourage Timothy and reminds him, night and day, I pray for you. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But notice that, his beloved son, the one he has tears for even, who longs to see him, hey, Timothy, I pray for you night and day. I'm encouraged when someone tells me, you know, every day I pray for you. Does that encourage you? Kim and I, every night before we fall asleep, We have a list of people we pray together for. Pray night and day for you, Timothy. And I want you to think of how that much has encouraged him in the faith. Let's drop down now to verses 8 through 10. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us, called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So again, Paul now, through these verses, is trying to encourage Timothy, saying, look, don't be ashamed. He isn't saying he is ashamed. uh, Again, Timothy's in Ephesus at this time. He's a young pastor, young servant, and he's building him up, saying, don't be ashamed. Stand firm. Proclaim the gospel the gospel that I taught you, the gospel that saves you, and he unpacks that gospel summary in verse nine. Look at it, that our faith from first to last is an act from God to save us. Not of works, that anybody could bring about a right relationship with God, but from first to last from God, by his power. Not by works, but by his grace as a gift to us through Christ. And by Jesus, we're made holy. In other words, our standing before God is right. Timothy, remember that. Stand on that. Keep that at the forefront of everything you do. And then he goes on to say Jesus is the agent of our salvation in verse 10. Our Savior who has appeared, no questions about that. you know that, Timothy? And his appearance guarantees death has been conquered and we can live eternally. That's good news. That's good news, especially from a guy sitting in prison waiting to die. My mentor, my discipler, Paul wants to make sure Timothy never forgets the gospel that saved him. And remember, the gospel is to be taken into the world, proclaimed, preached, encouraged, and shared with people who need it. Gospel, endurance, starting right off in this letter. Verses 11 through 14 I not to say this gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed. I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in. Jesus Christ. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Paul goes on with this gospel and says, Look, you know my example. You know how I lived teaching, preaching constantly the gospel. Don't add to the message. Don't take away from the message. Don't get sidetracked on anything else. A follower of Christ is to be diligent and focused on serving Christ and his gospel. And then he goes on to finish this section in chapter one by saying, you're aware of all those who are in Asia and they turned away from me, among whom are Phygellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Arnith for us. For he often refreshed me, and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered in Ephesus. Again, kind of bringing this piece to a summary, he's saying, look, there's people in life, if you will, those that are going to be on mission and encourage you. Those who will stand firm with you. Those who will be with you no matter what. Remember them. Then there's going to be those who abandon you. Who do we most often focus on? The ones that abandon us. And Paul's probably saying, don't get hung up in that. Remember those that God sends your way to be an encouragement to you. I'm going to have a look at three things this morning. Before I do, I want you to notice something that we've learned so far in chapter one that I think is so important. Nowhere in this letter, especially when we started this morning, does Paul looking for people to feel sorry for him. Nowhere in this letter, especially where we started this morning, did he lead Timothy to believe, if you're a follower of Christ, it's all going to be good. Piece of cake. You know, you're going to have lots of money. You're going to have lots of clothes. You'll never get put in bad situations. He doesn't say that at all. As a matter of fact, he's going to spend a lot of time saying, hey, if you're a follower of Christ, you're going to suffer you're going to suffer. The message that you're going to preach and proclaim and teach, people aren't going to like that very well. Don't get caught thinking in life, if you follow Christ, that it's all rosy, it's all piece of cake. And I appreciate that as I read this letter. Paul's reminding Timothy that gospel endurance requires intentional living. And so he starts reminding Timothy of that. So this morning, we as followers of Christ need that encouragement to stay faithful, stay focused, and stay on target as we follow Christ. So three things that I came uh, up with that I'd like us to have as takeaways this morning, always lots more than this, But the first one is this. Do you have a Paul in your life? Do you have a Paul in your life? And do you have a Timothy in your life? It's interesting to me that outside of Christian circles, everybody wants some kind of a Paul. You know, if you're going to go to the gym and work out, right? You want somebody who's going to instruct you and help you grow in your technique and abilities. If you're going to join a trade and get on the job, you're going to be assigned somebody probably that's able to help you grow and know how to do what you're supposed to do. If you play sports, there's coaches that help you grow in knowing how to do your sport well. But how many of us approach our Christian faith like we need a Timothy to shepherd, but first we need a Paul. I've been blessed in my life to have multiples. I have one that still communicates regularly with me that's been a Paul to me. And it's been important as I process life. Who's your Paul? Paul. Is that a foreign concept to you? I'm going to guess for many of us it is. And here's some reasons. Many of us don't have a Paul because we made our faith more about uh, attending church than living a faith-filled life for Christ. Coming to church doesn't have a high accountability, does it? I mean, we can show up, sit in the seat, take off after church, Glad we worshipped, heard Scripture taught, preached, sung songs that were gospel-centered. We good till next week. Not a high level of accountability. Second, having a Paul requires accountability and an intentionality that goes against a consumer mentality that's crept the church. Now you're stepping on toes, Jeff. You know, we'd just rather come to church and get samplings of things that we like that make us feel good, kind of consume those things, choose from the buffet of Christian offerings. But having a Paul is going to be different. Having a Paul is going to mean I have to engage and I have to talk to and I ask questions of Maybe we don't have pause because it challenges us to speak and live the truth with other people. To open up your own life so that you can share your struggles as you navigate this faith-filled life. Share how hard it is when you go to the store and somebody treats you rudely. To share how hard it is when you interact with your friends that aren't Christians. You feel led to share the gospel, and it's hard. See, having a Paul moves us from an academic faith to a way of life living for Christ and his gospel. With high accountability. And so, it can be fearful. It's going to expose our weaknesses, because it lets somebody ask us questions. Let me say it's probably hesitant for most of us to think about being a Paul. We need Pauls in our life. We need Timothys in our life. Being a Paul means living in the gospel. It means investing in making disciples And that's going to bring hardships, and that's going to bring headaches, and that's going to bring frustrations, but it's going to bring great joy, because that's what we're called to do. We all need a Paul who will help us live in the gospel and share the gospel and observe in their life how they share the gospel. I want you to notice something. Again, Paul is in a nasty, cold, dark prison, chained certain that any moment they'll call his name and take him out and put him to death. And yet, he's living confidently. He's living in joy. He's living on mission still, investing in Timothy, investing in other churches and believers who will read this letter. We need Pauls in our life that show us how to suffer well, right? We, we need Pauls in our life that say life is hard. You know, I'm a follower of Christ, and on the job, I just don't get treated right. But here's how you live faithfully to Christ, in the midst of that. We all need Paul's, and we all need Timothy's. Actually. Thinking along those lines, if you read Hebrews chapter 13, you'll discover that in verse 23, Timothy is going to be released from prison. Guess what? Paul's kind of helping him see, chances are you're going to be in prison. Follow my example. Well, how do you find a Paul. How do you find a Paul? Well, you look around in the people in your life and see who's a little further down the road in their faith than you. They don't have to be way down the road, but there's a little further in their faith than you. And I would say find the ones who have struggled some. Because they're going to be genuine and real with you. Find a Paul, somebody who's a little further down the road. Somebody, when you look at their life, they're faithful. They've walked the road a while. They know Jesus, and Jesus lives vibrantly in their life, and you know it because you've observed their life. Look for those. Approach them. Ask them if they'd be willing to meet with you and help you navigate through life a bit. You need a blueprint with a heavy academic content to it. Just start meeting with them. Ask them lots of questions. Ask them how they read their Bible. How do you do that? How do you keep it fresh? Ask them how they pray. Show me how you pray. Include me in your prayer. Let's do it together. Find someone who knows the gospel. The gospel that saves them, that they want to proclaim into the world and watch them. Ask them questions. Ask them how they lived through the tough times. What were the big obstacles in their life that Christ took them through? Look for those kind of people. Look for them. That'll be a good poll to start with. Now, yes, you want to make sure they're doctrinally solid. You want to make sure their faith is solid. Secure in the doctrines that are important and that are orthodox, but watch their life as well. Second thing I want us to take away from this has to do with parents and grandparents. I want to think like a Paul and disciple your kids and grandkids, I want you to notice when we started, clear back in here, Paul talks about his heritage as a follower. Paul also tells Timothy about his mother and his grandmother who were spiritual influences in his young life. So I want to speak to grandparents and parents this morning. Kids and grandkids are gifts to us. From God. And that gift is invaluable. And that gift is something we're supposed to build faith into. We're supposed to build faith into them. Aren't you to, if you have your Bible, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's an important verse for Kim and I, um, as we were young parents, that were was very helpful to us because it summarizes, if you will, the command we have as parents. Starts in verse four. We're going to read through verse nine. This is Moses speaking to the nation of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be on your frontlets between your eyes You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. In other words, in other words, disciple your kids. That's our calling as parents and grandparents. Disciple your kids. Well, what's the difference between discipling and parenting? I think an important distinction here. Parenting It's not only this, but most often, at least for Kim and I when our kids were young, and that's a long, long time ago, uh, it's easy to correct their actions. All we do is correct their actions. Behavior modification. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Discipling shepherds the heart. We want to give them a why. They don't want to do that. Discipling shepherds the heart. You see. If we look at somebody's actions, it reveals values in their life. Values are things that we are to disciple into our kids. What would it look like if parents and grandparents approached parenting and grandparenting as discipling? Well, it's harder. It's harder, it's easier just to say, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that or I'm gonna you know, give you a timeout or whatever discipline method you use. That's, that's kind of an easy answer, right? So you do it 10 times and it's like, I don't wanna do that anymore. Discipling takes more time on the front side, but when you shepherd their hearts and build into them that way, they'll begin to think differently, they'll begin to act differently and you'll have a closer relationship that's different. Grandparents. Now, I'm a grandparent. I have two lovely granddaughters. And uh, we have to be careful because um, it, it's fun to be the fun part of life, you know? <laughs> to show up with snacks and treats and all, all the good things, like get them riled up and get them excited, and then we just get in the car and go home. And, They're riled up for two days. But but the one thing we have unique to us as grandparents is we've walked life a long time, right? And our grandkids need to see our battles and how we were faithful. Our grandkids need to hear our faith story our grandkids need to see how we love the gospel and Jesus and live on mission for Him. And you know what? When, when they see that in their parents and then they see that in their grandparents, they take note. And they begin to see how important Jesus is to us. Grandparents, be that model. Not just only fun things, yes, do that, but be the model. Be a faith-filled model of someone who loves Jesus and is committed. Parents and grandparents both, we've got this wonderful opportunity to model grace and mercy, don't we? grace and mercy that leads to peace as Paul started this letter with. Let's help our kids by shepherding their hearts to find their identity in Christ, not in the things they do. Let's shepherd our kids to be secure in the knowledge and love of Christ, observable in our life, third takeaway this morning is Paul gives some very, very practical examples and components for gospel endurance and discipling. Paul lays out in this letter the things that I think he shepherded into the heart of Timothy before and is reminding him of again. Back to what I mentioned earlier in verse 2. In grace and mercy and peace. I mean, you can almost think of Timothy sitting down and reading this and learning of Paul being in prison and hearing grace, mercy, and peace. Yes. Wow, how important that is. Don't forget grace, mercy, and peace. Yes. Paul teaches us that then in verse 3 he lays out this idea of thankfulness to God. How to live in thankfulness in the midst of a very difficult and life-threatening time. Don't be a victim, Timothy. Don't feel sorry for me, Timothy. Be thankful. Be thankful. Live in thankfulness to God no matter what your circumstances are because they're not too big for God to carry through. Live in constant, prayerful dependence. Verse three, teach people your Timothys and look for Pauls who have a faithful, prayerful life. And so when he says, look, I pray for you day and night, that wasn't just a phrase that was tossed around. Paul prayed for Timothy more than bedtime prayers. Model faithful living. Follow me, Paul says. Fan into flame your gift. The things you have to be used for the kingdom work of God. Use it, build it, grow it, engage it in your world. And then an important one that's found in verse seven remember the indwelling of the holy spirit it's interesting within our kind of our tribe and the groups we you know we either shy away from holy spirit and don't talk about that because that's scary and weird because we've seen examples that make it that way right or it's the other extreme but paul mentions here the indwelling of the holy spirit in other words once we come to faith in christ The very person of Christ lives in us, the Holy Spirit. And he will empower you to face the difficult times. He will remind you everything that Christ taught and led in. Empowerment by the guiding conviction, encouragement of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 13, don't forget about the pattern of sound doctrine and sound teaching and preaching that Paul had. Timothy, don't forget the very things that I taught you. Don't forget the sound doctrine that you've been raised in. Don't forget how to proclaim the gospel, which you've seen me do. See, the invaluable worth of the gospel and your call, my call, to live and defend and proclaim the gospel. It's always interesting to think about Jesus. His last words to his disciples were to go into all the world and make what? Disciples. We see Paul living that out and instructing Timothy to do the same thing.